Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. i got to be honest, Andy, we have some bummer things to talk about today. We'll try to keep the energy going. We'll try to keep the same lively attitude we usually have on this thing. But some of the topics are a bit depressing. And one of them in particular, but we'll get to that later. I've never seen you this bummed on the podcast before. It has nothing to do with injuries or the the, the way the season's gone for Virginia Tech. It is solely because of one particular minute in the podcast that we've carved out here. Yes, and I have a a box of tissues here next to the microphone ready to go if we need them. Uh, I'm not sure you'll ever need them because you're so stoic during uh, times like this, but uh, I might. Andy, we're going to actually start with some relatively breaking news. I mean, it broke last night that uh, Terrell Edmonds is out for the year. Uh, he's been nursing a shoulder injury all season long. Uh, and I guess, we, did we even know that he was doing that? Or, or did, had they put him on the injury report at all? He had, or? Not, he had not been on the injury report. I think he'd worn a brace for or some sort of uh, wrap or something like that on the shoulder all year. I mean, it's, it's obviously under pads, so it's not like you see that stuff all the time. But from what Bud said, he had been dealing with this all season. Uh, perhaps something else he's been dealing with. I mean, all these guys, when you get to week 11, week 12 of the season, are just kind of beat up, you know, bumps and bruises uh, all over the place. So I don't think anybody was truly healthy at this point in the season, but uh, the shoulder kind of got to the point where it was uh, past the point where he could continue playing comfortably. Uh, I think Tech falling out of the coastal race, being eliminated in that sense, then losing to Georgia Tech, drops him out of the top 25. I think uh, that probably plays into it a little bit as well. Uh, you know, what, what exactly are you playing for big game-wise? Uh, it's tough to continue to go out there and do that if, if you're injured, not quite 100%. So uh, he went and he had surgery yesterday on his left shoulder, I believe, is what the announcement was. Uh, that's a blow to this defense. I mean, this is a really good secondary or has been this season, uh, the big passes against Georgia Tech notwithstanding. Uh, and Terrell Edmonds was a big part of that, not only from what he does on the field, but, I mean, he was a vocal leader in that secondary. He was the guy that, you know, he, he never got tired. I mean, they couldn't tire him out no matter what they did. He was always kind of spurring on the defense like that. So uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, it's a big loss. From a leadership standpoint, it's a big loss. And it's just another thing this team is going to have to regroup and, and find a way to deal with these last couple weeks. Yeah, he was a thunderous hitter. Uh, and a, and a great a great player. I mean, he had sort of a. It's unfortunate for him, especially because I think he had an ignominious play, as you mentioned in that Georgia Tech game. You know, where uh, at times those those hokey defenders uh, in the back weren't very good. Uh, but overall, he's 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 about as steady as you get. And um, so I mean, I guess they'll they think he'll be fine for next year. Is that? I think so. I mean, that that's actually sort of the question that I've gotten from a lot of people is, is it possible that he could go pro early? I mean, I know Tremaine, obviously uh, a year younger, has some NFL aspirations too and in probably a higher draft stock. I've seen him in maybe first round in a couple of these mock drafts. I kind of think maybe their decisions are tied to each other. I don't really know, but I, mean, I feel like they enjoy playing with each other. That's obviously a very tight family bond that they have there. 
I would not think that Terrell would go pro after this year. His his tweet that he put up uh, last night uh, talking about there will be more one and O's in the future would seem to suggest that he's not thinking about going to the NFL. Certainly you don't want to go to the next level with a, a shoulder injury like that. I thought if he had a better season this year, maybe that would have been a possibility. Maybe not quite the season that he would have hoped and certainly with his injury. So I, I would imagine he's coming back. Uh, I think if he's coming back, that probably increases the chances that Tremaine Edmonds comes back just because he enjoys playing with um, his brother like that. But that's sort of speculating on my part. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you get this repaired. You're probably ready for spring ball and ready to come back next year uh, rearing to go. In the meantime, who replaces Terrell? That's kind of the question. Uh, Khalil Ladler would be next on the pot on the uh, the depth chart. Uh, you know, th- this is where you lose a guy like Div- Divine Diablo early in the season. That's a pretty big loss. Uh, you didn't think so at the time. You go, well, Terrell's it never comes off the field, so you're not going to lose that much in that sense. Uh, so it's getting pretty thin there. I, th- I think Ladler is an option. I think another way to go, and it sounds like this is how they were practicing maybe a little bit yesterday, is Mook Reynolds moving from whip to the free safety spot. He had played safety against Georgia Tech last week. He's got a defensive back background despite playing that nickelback outside linebacker spot the last couple of years uh that could open up the whip linebacker spot to Dion newsom when it's sort of passing situations anthony chicago who played really well against georgia tech if it's a run type situation the more i talk about that the more i feel like that is what makes sense i feel like that's what they might do this weekend but uh it's losing a big piece in that secondary and obviously I have to shuffle around some parts to make it work all right, well, we have, we are back from Atlanta. We have a lot to talk about in the Georgia Tech matchup. Um, Georgia Tech wins that game 28-22, and you still refuse to give me credit for my prediction last week of 28-21. You picked Georgia- a regular football score where that game was a mess to where it got to that point. I went against the grain and said something weird, like 22-21, and it was, oh, oh, so close to being right if they didn't give up that big touchdown. Uh, at the end and when they when the guy dove into the end zone and the ball kind of came loose I'm like was that a touchback is that gonna be a touchback and the score is gonna say 22 20 like I really wanted my score prediction to be right because it was such a weird score but you just go with some 24 17 28 21 sounds like a football score and then you want the credit the next day I'll give you credit for getting close to the score but you did not really have the tenor of that game right i no, feel like. I, I credit you for your score too your score was good you had the right team covering um that's you know, all that matters right is the cover that's mention, what you say the cover is right right but i did mention last week that this game always seems to turn on one crazy play or one silly thing and you know a, a personal foul or something i did mention that it would be a wacky way to get to 28 to 21 probably but um you know Let's let's talk about the decisions that were made by Justin Fuente because I think that's on the minds of a lot of people. Um, I wrote my whole column about it. Let's first of all, for those who haven't you know been on planet Earth for the last couple of days, what were the decisions that were questionable in in your mind and in the fans' minds? Well, I think people will point out to the fourth down decision early, fourth and two from the eight yard line. I think it was they go for it there, down seven to three. Uh, AJ Bush was in the game and uh, the play was just doomed from the start. It looked like the snap came late. Uh, Bush got the ball kind of behind him and then was just swallowed up by the defense. Uh, after that, they scored a touchdown to get within 14, nine before halftime, the Sean Savoy touchdown. They went for two then in that situation, which is very early to be chasing points. Uh, did not get that. Uh, so you can look at that right there. That's probably leaving four points on the board in the first half. 
Second half, they go ahead 22-21 on that uh, touchdown. You really, at that point, are forced to go for two. They don't get the two-point conversion there. That's another point you can throw onto it. You're up to five points that you potentially left on the board. And then I think what people really had the problem with was, you know, third and one at the Georgia Tech 32 with just over a minute left. Uh, they throw a fade pattern to Eric Kuma that goes incomplete. Uh, fourth and one, they go for it all. They go to the end zone to Cam Phillips. Uh, you know, throws a little bit under th- balls a little bit underthrown. Defender knocks it away, uh, incomplete. And there's a minute left on the clock, and they needed a yard, and they throw two passes down the field. I think that is the one that really people are scratching their heads about, and they go, "What? What were they thinking in that point?" And uh, you know, Justin Fuente afterwards defended those calls. He said, "You know, it's a one-on-one matchup with the guy that you know is the best offensive player on your team." Uh, they thought that was an opportunity to take the shot to win the game. You know, didn't really regret it at all afterwards. I don't know if that was the case a couple days later once they had time to look at it more. Uh, I think given how tough they had tough it had been to complete passes down the field all day, uh, given how well they had actually moved the ball in that last drive. I mean, they had picked up a couple fourth downs, just moving the chains a uh, little bit by little bit. I think if you get a first down there, you give yourself more chances to go to the end zone, and that's sort of what this offense needs is volume, opportunities to go for stuff like that. I think that's a reason people are upset with the call. I think you know Cam Phillips had two catches for eight yards at that point in the game. It's not like he was lighting it up uh, throughout the game. Uh, I think for all those reasons, there are legitimate complaints about those two play calls. I think that's really what kind of sticks in people's craw a couple days later. Yeah, we'll talk a little more about Cam later in the podcast, but I think if if they'd run that play on third down and they didn't get it, then they could run a variety of plays to try to get a yard, pick up. I mean, they had plenty of time. They had their timeouts. Uh, It wasn't a situation uh, that was that desperate. I think, you know, I want to be careful because play calling is sort of like officiating bashing. You know, it's it's very easy to do. People do it after every game. There's always calls you can look at and say that wasn't right. Uh, but I felt differently about this one, and that's why I wrote my entire column about it. Uh, we, what I wrote my column about on Sunday was regarding sort of the, the trust factor that's going on there. And you you've noted – you noted in your five thoughts that this is really nothing new with with Coach Fuente. He, you know, doesn't uh, believe he has a whole not, a, a heck of a lot of horses this year on offense. He doesn't think he has exactly what he needs to run up and down the field. But I just didn't feel like it was necessary to to get that bizarre. I mean, did you find that to be a, a good enough reason for those for those decisions that he made? Yeah, I, it's weird. There's something about playing Georgia Tech, I feel like, that just kind of psychs him out a little bit. I mean, there's two games now where going into it, he has talked so much about the pressure on the offense that you have to produce on every single drive, and you know points are at a premium, and you only get so many possessions, and you have to make the most of them against this team that I, th- I think that sort of gets in his head a little bit in making decisions uh, with going for it in a fourth and two or taking the points or... Uh, I, I think it's just gotten to him a little bit the last couple times. And you know, Paul Johnson is a pretty good coach with that option, and he can play some mind games with teams that he plays against. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they don't need to go into next year's matchup with Georgia Tech being it's so critical that every single drive is the most important thing because it, it seems to be affecting them, and it seems to be affecting their decisions that they're making in those things, and that compounds their problem over time and makes things worse as the game goes on. Yeah, it was striking to me. It really was. I was sitting up there going, what is going on here? 
And at Moe's near Statesville, North Carolina, I came up with a metaphor. Uh, typical me, about 48 hours too late or whatever. Uh, to, to Here's my metaphor, okay? You sit down at the blackjack table. You know you're at a disadvantage, unless you're delusional or you're counting cards. You're at a, you're at a disadvantage, but you can still win by playing you know, your best strategy. You give yourself your best chance to win. Up until the Miami game, I thought – Justin Fuente was an offensive card counter, so to speak. I thought he was a guy that even if you didn't have the horses, you were going to have a statistical edge, uh, a strategic edge because of the way he thinks and the and the and the sort of the schemes and 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 the play calling and, and everything. I mean, I think we saw that last year. You know, they they kept it close with the with the national the eventual national champion uh, with some some clever play calling and stuff. And then we see at Miami. They are terrible on third down. Uh, they, you know, they're terrible in short yardage. Uh, all these scenarios where, you know, maybe scheme could make a difference. Uh, maybe a right play call in a right spot could make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. Now we've come to find out Miami's very good and they're hitting their stride now after what they did to to Notre Dame. But still, that when I watched that game two weeks ago, I said to myself, well. Maybe he's more of a conventional player. You know, maybe he's just a conventional blackjack player. And then this past week, I'm watching him hit on hard 16s against the six. I'm watching him split tens uh, against a, a face card and turning a almost guaranteed push or winning hand into possible two, win, two losing hands. I mean, he's doing things that just are not giving his team the best chance to win in my view and I'm almost thinking if you had a substitute coach in there who was just running conventional stuff I think tech would have a better chance in these games um is that ex- is that too extreme I mean am I making too much of of one matchup situation that he just kind of had a bad day or or do you do you buy into any of that so you thought he was Rain Man a couple weeks ago. And now he's some tourist out there that <laughs> wearing like the the clear Las Vegas visor, like Bermuda shorts and long socks. Is like I've always wanted to gamble in a, a Las Vegas casino. Is this correct? Do I have this correct? Yeah, he's he's cousin Eddie in Vegas vacation. You know, wearing the the flippers and the and the and the goggles. You know, showing up at the table and spilling his drink everywhere. I would not go that far. <laughs> I think there are very apparent limitations to this offense, uh, more so than even at the beginning of the year when everybody was healthy. I mean, you look at some of the injuries they've had. Nijman at left tackle being out the last couple of weeks, I think it's been enormous. I think that hasn't been talked about enough, uh, in, certainly in how it affects Josh Jackson, because all of a sudden you have heat off your blind side that you're – you haven't worried about really all year a whole bunch, and now that's really an issue on almost every play. Uh, Steven Peoples started running back, probably not playing. C.J. Carroll, veteran wide receiver, another guy not playing. It's, there's a lot of parts in this thing that were not there at the beginning of the year, and I, I think he knows that. And it, it's obvious it's pretty young. Maybe they've gone a little bit overboard with that. Uh, I, I do tend to think that we see the result of some of these games and we overreact to situations. If they hit that touchdown pass at the end and Virginia Tech wins that game 29-28, to 28, he's hailed as a riverboat gambler genius again. Oh, defied the odds, went for it big there, hit the big play. I mean, if they recover 
either of those two fumbles that it seemed impossible that they didn't recover them. And it sounds like on one of them, they thought they did in fact recover and the officials didn't give them the ball. I mean, especially that one on the kickoff right after the touchdown to go ahead, uh, we're talking about things in a completely different game. So I, I think it's it's always interesting that like such a small difference in the outcome of the game colors our perception of, uh, you know, they lose this game because of some questionable decision-making. Well, it easily could have gone the other way, and then we could sort of gloss over the fact that there were these decisions. So I, I think maybe it's too far. Uh, the pendulum has swung in the other direction. I do think the last two weeks maybe he's been a little bit on tilt uh, with some of these decision making, uh, though, because I mean, it, it's been obvious last week wasn't his finest game. Uh, and I, I think it did cost them in certain situations. Well, two things. One, I don't necessarily think they would have won that game had he made the right decisions. It's just like, you know, being a, a card counter, you could still lose, uh, even if you have the advantages, uh, Georgia tech played pretty well, outgained them significantly. And all those, all those deficiencies you talk about could show up. And two, I think if they'd have won the game 29, 28, I, and, and maybe I'm, wrong about this maybe i'm giving myself too much credit but i think i would have written they won in spite of these decisions i think that's what i would have written they won they 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 stole one here despite some very bad decision making that that you know didn't give their team the best chance to win i think i would have written that you would have written that i think the fans would have looked at things much differently they would have just seen the w they would have just said gutty road win and the game that's always weird a georgia tech team that always give you fits with that defense they found a way to get it done uh and they would have gone along happily (laughs) along their merry way to the rest of the season uh, as it is now, <laughs> you go to some of those message boards right now, and it's like the sky is falling. It's the apocalypse right now, especially with this Terrell Edmonds news. Uh, Pimpleton leaving over the weekend. We'll get to that in a little bit here. Uh, just everybody just thought, oh my gosh, all these the, the sh- other shoe is dropping, or what, what's, whatever the phrase is. Uh, it was a, a real panic mode right now, I feel like, where maybe it, it's not quite that. If you look at the, the expectations of this team at the beginning of the season, you know, I said eight and four. I thought it would be a struggle. And, that, you know, I fooled myself into thinking maybe this offense was a little bit better than it was because it was doing, uh, you know, putting up big numbers against really bad competition earlier this year. But if you step back and you look at the season as a whole, you go, yeah, redshirt freshman quarterback lost a lot of star power on offense. You know, defense has been pretty good. Special teams has been good. That's what it was supposed to be this year. That's kind of what they have been. And, uh, you know, if they finish nine and three, that's still better than I thought this team would be at the beginning of the year. So I, I think sometimes people need to just step back and take a look at a larger picture of where the team is uh, rather than f- be so singularly focused on one single game like this. I was fully prepared to do the Stugats. He cost them the game, even though they won. <laughs> that's actually something he said. And that's kind of what I, my, what the tenor of my column would have been. All right. Well, Fuente did have some time to think it over over the weekend. He reflected some. What were his comments about, you know, when he looked back at his decision making? What did he think? And Well, I think he understands the nature of the business. And he said the quote, uh, it's a short trip from the penthouse to the outhouse, which certainly rings true for a lot of people in southwest Virginia, I would imagine, who actually have physical outhouses <laughs> uh, in their yards. But uh, you know, I basically just asked him to be like, you know, do you hear this kind of chatter, the second guessing and stuff? And, you know, how do coaches view that and stuff? And, he, you know, I think about doing calls differently every single day. 
Like, you know, he's, it's not like they just make these calls and go, oh, well, that one didn't work. Move on to the next one. There, There's a lot of reflection there. There's a lot of second guessing. There's a lot of going back over it and, you know, what could they have done this decision differently? You know, he said the decisions were wrong. They didn't work. And therefore they were wrong because of that. Uh, but it's not like they just make the decisions and go home at night and, you know, go, go along with the rest of their week. I mean, they, they sort of live with these for a while and it's, it's a painful thing to live with. So, uh, I thought it was a very human moment from Fuente talking about, um, you know, how this affects these guys after the fact. And, you know, but, but he said, what you can't let it do is you can't let it affect future decisions that aren't good for the team. He's always making decisions that he thinks are going to be beneficial for the team. And even if they don't work, that was the intent of the whole thing. So what he doesn't want to do is have that sort of creep into his mind and affect future decisions uh, in a way that is you know, not as advantageous for this team. So essentially he said, I'm going to keep splitting tens, boy. Live with it. It wasn't that pronounced, <laughs> but I think as a coach, you can't just sit there and be like, oh, well, the fans were displeased with that. I made the wrong decision. Sometimes as a football coach, you know better. You know your team better. You feel like you have a better pulse of your team, obviously, and he thought that was the best decision in that case. And you know, I'll be honest. We're outsiders looking at this thing. We don't really know right. the inner workings of the sideline or how things are going that day. We can witness it, how it's going, but we don't know really – what's going down, going on down on the field. And uh, I, I would usually defer to the coaches in these situations that they have a better handle of the situation, even though you look at some of the decisions and you go, that was a little sketchy, those can, decisions. Can we talk about the metaphor, it's a short trip from the penthouse to the outhouse? I think that's blatantly false. I mean, if you're in a penthouse, think of Mr. Drummond's penthouse apartment in, in uh, New York City. You got to go a long way to find an outhouse where he is in upper Manhattan or whatever to find an out. You got to go, I'm guessing into Maine or, or New Jersey, you know, go hit New Jersey, go West, and then maybe you'll find an outhouse somewhere. But it's, it's, it's a long trip to the outhouse. What, what the hell are they talking about? To be that? fair, that person probably has some sort of private jet that is easily <laughs> accessible if they wanted to get to these places, That's get true. to the outhouse. They could get there faster than your average human could get to an outhouse. That's maybe that's what the reference was. In. Well, let's talk about another cliche. And I actually brought it up last week uh, when we were breaking down the matchup and talking about what we thought was going to happen. I said, I think we might walk out of there in Atlanta and say, Miami beat this Virginia Tech team twice. I don't think that. I mean, I don't look at the, the result and say, well, that was a Miami hangover necessarily. But it sounds like the players and some of the coaches do feel that way. Is that accurate? Yeah. I, I was a little – taken aback yesterday when Bud Foster said he thought Miami beat him twice. And then Eric Allis says last Tuesday's practice didn't have the same sort of demeanor that it usually does. And Cam Phillips and Josh Jackson all said the same thing. You know, Fuente, after the game, was adamant. He said, this team was ready to play in this game. Now, I, I don't, don't want to hear that there was a hangover or anything. And, and perhaps that was true in the game. But from the way that everybody talks about last Tuesday's practice, it sounds like there was a little bit of a hangover. Perhaps they shook that off by the end of the week, but – you have to remember it was a weird week last week where they had the travel coming back. They missed out on the Sunday practice. Uh, Tuesday was their first practice after the Miami game, and if that wasn't good, then all of a sudden you're looking at two missed opportunities in the week to get ready. Perhaps that did affect them a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I look at the game. I mean, they go out there. They get an early field goal. It's not like they came out poorly in that game. 
I know Georgia Tech then took the lead, but it was it was like a a play I guess that the Yellow Jackets had never run. That's a little backdoor reverse that they ran to the fullback. Um, I don't know. I didn't get the sense out there like oh this team was not ready to play when they came out in the game. So I, I find this some of these comments about last week's practice it's like oh well, it's easy to say in hindsight that this wasn't a, a great workout like that, but. Uh, sometimes I, I wonder what the point is of, of pointing out that after the fact like that. People are going to say, well, Aaron's just making excuses for the Hokies here, but I don't know if we made enough out of that travel situation. Uh, remember your, your Shreveport trip where you slept on the in the Dallas airport? I mean, how long did it take you to recover from that physically? And you're not out there crashing heads uh, the day of. How I mean, do you know I'm not? Well, maybe you are. Uh, that took a while. Yeah, a couple days. Yeah, it did. I mean, I don't. I don't that expect- was a longer. It was like a twenty-four hour thing, and I had to do it with Barber. So I mean, that made it even worse. No, I'm just joking, Barber. But no, I mean, that was. You know, at least they got to sleep on seats. <laughs> I'll give them that. I was sleeping on the floor of an airport. No, I, I will say that that is a, a bad way to come back. But I would think by Saturday that they would be fine from that. Well, I guess my point would be I, I wouldn't expect Tuesday practice to be crisp. Regardless of how much vim and vigor you want to summon, uh, you're, you're still going to be just kind of physically drained. Yeah, and maybe, I'll give them that. And maybe that. Maybe that takes a little time to pull out of. But I agree with Fuente that I thought, you know, when I looked at them on the field, I mean, before the game, they were jacked up. They were doing all sorts of, uh, you know, your normal uh, pump-up things before games. I, I sound really hip, don't I? They're normal. How can you not get pumped up in that uh, pregame Georgia Tech music that they always have down there? I'm kind of disappointed they didn't play all the way turned up again. I, I thought that that was going to be a tradition from here on to the rest of time. Uh, from when that was popular 10 years ago or whatever it was. What did Dowdy say when he walked in today? Hello, dude. <laughs> Something like that. That's why he's a Hall of Famer, folks. Right, right mention, there. We should mention that on this podcast. Uh, Doug Dowdy of the Roanoke <laughs> Times was among uh, the class that is going to be in the Virginia Hall of Fame, and that's uh, a good segue. Beamer's also going to be in that class, and Chuck Hartman, who's a tech guy, uh, baseball. Star-studded cast. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a headliner group. I, I think they I saw in uh, Teal's story it was the largest Hall of Fame class they've had in 51 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely uh, going all out with this year's class. Uh, good to see Doug get in, though. Well-deserved honor. Yeah, it really is. Okay, now back – to Cam Phillips, because you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, he hadn't had a big game in that game. It was, what, two two catches, eight yards or something like that. He wasn't necessarily having a Cam type of game. Cam was a little hard on himself this week uh, when asked about the whole situation, the whole game. What did he have to say? You know, I thought he was a little overly hard on himself in this situation. Jackson had said he wished he had kind of thrown a better pass at the end there, gotten it further out for Cam to make a play on it. And this is what, what Cam said to us reporters last night. He says, Jackson says it's his fault. It's solely my fault, regardless of the ball, not just that one. There were a few 50-50 balls I should have had. Didn't use the right technique, just not a good day for me all around. And that was really, really frustrating. But that's my fault. That's not on Josh. He gave me a chance, and I didn't make the play when it comes down to it. Uh that is being very harsh on yourself. I mean, yeah, I think Cam has been disappointed with how he's played recently. He obviously got off to that great start on the season, uh, leading the nation in receiving yards, I think through week five or six, something like that. Had the foot injury at Boston College and really hasn't had a huge game since then. I know he went over 100 yards against Miami. I feel like a lot of that was after the game was already decided. Uh, last week against Georgia Tech, uh, 
not his finest game. Uh, you know, I don't think Jackson had his best game either. So it's, it's tough for the receivers to really do that well when uh, the passes aren't all that accurate. But uh, it, it, is that a play that Cam could have made at the end? Yeah, but it was kind of an underthrown and it gave the defensive back a chance to get back to it. I think Cam's just frustrated in general with the offense. Uh, and he, you know, he's doing what leaders do. He's taking it on himself uh, to, to, to try to turn this thing around, taking a lot, shouldering a lot of the blame uh, in this whole situation. Uh, it would have been a tough play to make in the end zone, I think, anyway. So I think that's maybe saying a little bit too much. Oh, I have to make that play. They call it 50-50 ball for a reason. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I think that would help this offense out a lot if Cam kind of got back to that early season form where he was making plays and, uh, sort of a go-to guy in this offense. They've sort of lacked that a little bit recently. You know, we should go back and look at some of those plays he was making early in the season and see if like, you know, he's actually covered on some of those routes or what, what the situation really is. Well, I can tell you against ECU, he most certainly was not (laughs) covered. I mean, they were giving him 20 yard cushions and then somehow still getting beat deep on those plays. <laughs> uh, you know, West Virginia, I thought he made a bunch of plays there. Trying to think of some of the other games specifically. I, I, he was a lot maybe more aggressive, I think. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe it. He just was a lot more there, I think, in the earlier games. And I think that's part of the frustrating part is, you know, even if you don't have your best game, I think two two catches for eight yards. I think if you're a receiver, you look at that and you go, man, that is just – not a real big impact on a game that, you know, like we've mentioned several times was decided by uh, a touchdown. I mean, a few plays here or there that really could have made the difference last week. Yeah. Well, the first half of this season, Josh Jackson was on pace to shatter all of the records that were set last year by Gerard Evans for quarterbacks. Um, Two, you know, back-to-back weeks with the offense producing less than 300 yards, that, I mean, some of that comes back on the quarterback. I know it's not just him, but, I mean, what, what's going on with, with Jackson? How do you feel like he's he's played here recently? Not his best, but I think they're obviously, you know, mitigating circumstances here. I mean, it, like I said before, I think Nijman being out is a big deal. I think you lose that sort of security from your blind side. All of a sudden, yeah, it's one more thing to worry about. You get the happy feet in the pocket. Maybe you don't pull the trigger quite as quick on passes. Uh, you know, obviously the competition has been tougher. I mean, we, we've said that all season is that it was going to get to these games, the Miami and Georgia Tech one, and that's going to be a tough stretch in the season. And obviously it has been. Both road games, uh, you know, the team hasn't performed that well in either one, offense being a big part of that. And, you know, I think part of it is, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, too. And right. I think some of that early season success, you lose sight of the fact that, oh, he plays like he's a junior. And, you know, we all wrote that earlier in the season. It's like, well, it's easy to play like a junior against uh, easier competition. And when you're throwing the ball against ODU and against ECU and, uh, you know, a couple of those teams, I, I feel like you kind of lose sight of the fact that he is still a pretty young player and he hasn't gone through some situations yet where – you have to deal with some struggles and how are you going to pull out of that? I think this is all part of the the maturation process for a quarterback and you're seeing, you know, everybody hits the wall their freshman year. I mean, that, that just happens to everybody. Uh, you're seeing a little bit of that with Josh Jackson right now because the team's sort of hitting that situation. Yeah. I don't know that I agree that, that it always looks like you're a junior when you're playing bad competition. I mean, we, we've talked about it in the past, you know, there's been years that Tech's offenses look like really crummy against bad competition, and that just hadn't been the case early this season. So I think that's one reason you had some some hope that it would carry over when the, when the schedule toughened. 
everybody looks like a 12th year senior when they're playing ECU. True. That, that's, that's that true. we can agree on. Yes. Yes. The short path to the touchdown end zone <laughs> when playing them. Now, I've been putting this off, but I, there's a guy I need to talk about here, Andy. Who's that, Aaron? That's right. It's time for a very somber Pimpleton Minute. Uh, you spent most of yesterday uh, eschewing your job and, and just looking all over the internet for a slow version. Slow jam. Of PIMP. Um, and unfortunately, every single one is filthy as to be. <laughs> uh, the beginning of that remix that we just played there would have been perfect, except for the language, which is not very podcast friendly. No, you know, it's... But you know what? I, I felt like saying every one of those words when I heard the news. I honestly did. This this was a – I was just sitting on my couch watching the NASCAR race on Sunday night, and all of a sudden I'm getting an RIP Pimpleton Minute from you, and then I go on Twitter. I've got a bunch of mentions. It's like, you know, what are you going to do now? You're going to have to retire, all this stuff. Pimpleton has decided to transfer. After the semester, yes. Sounds like he's no longer on the team. Uh, that happened after the Georgia Tech week where he worked as the scout team quarterback, oddly enough. Um, he had not played the last four weeks. I think he's played in four games this year. He did not travel uh, to Georgia Tech. I'm not sure if he did to Miami. I think he might not have gone to Miami either. You know, I don't want to speculate too much on reasons for this whole thing, but you know, Fuente kind of mentioned the other day, this is a kid that wants to play right away. And you know, he mentioned you know, that he worked his tail off. like He was a hard worker, everything. Very complimentary of how he went about his business, but he's a guy that wants to play right away and get on the field. And you know, he, This is a slot receiver type guy that if he wasn't making an impact this year at, with the, the receiver need that they had, uh, C.J. Carroll getting hurt, I mean, they need bodies out there, playmakers, and he's not getting on the field right now. You wonder how long it would have taken for him to sort of make an impact on this team. So uh, he made that conversion from quarterback to receiver. Uh, it sounds like that might have taken a little bit longer, the whole process there. Uh, so it sounds like he just wants a, a different opportunity somewhere else, and, and Virginia Tech wishes him well. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is we've been doing this minute since the offseason, and I've still never met the guy. <laughs> we never, never got to talk to him this whole time. I will say this, you know, it's, this was all in fun, really, but it has given me a little bit of appreciation for uh, maybe a parent or somebody who's trying to watch their kid get in the game, you know, and you're just, you're just really rooting hard. You're like, this is a scenario where he could get in, and then all of a sudden he doesn't get in, or he gets in, but he's not, you know, his number isn't called, and you're like, oh, I can see how, like, you know, maybe you'd go home that night, and you talk to your dad, your mom, and and they're like, well, maybe we need to look around and see other situations. You know what I mean? It gave me a little bit of perspective of like putting myself in his shoes. You are the father of children, and you needed this example <laughs> for this to be ever known. You actually have children where this example would be apparent to you who are old enough to play sports in an organized manner. And this this Pimpleton hammered at home for you. It's like, this is finally like I have a child that I watch out there on the sporting field. Casey is not a jitterbug, all right? He's just not a water bug. Hannah is a bit of a water bug, but she gets to play. She gets to play all the time. Okay. So, I mean, I haven't experienced that with her. I, a little bit with Casey. I mean, there's been times I've wanted him to pitch, and he hasn't got the chance. But uh, I just kind of always figured that time will come. 
Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's not going to happen for Pimpleton here in Blacksburg. Any idea where he might wind up? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he's from Michigan, so I, I guess your first thought goes to maybe one of those, you know, if he wants to get on the field quicker, maybe one of those sort of directional Michigan schools up there. I, that's just me kind of spitballing, though. I, I have no idea where he's going to end up. Well, if you're okay with it, when we end this podcast, I will play the original PIMP song and pour one out as we go off the air. Is oh, that, 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 is, is yes, that okay? that's fine. I think it's appropriate uh, – He's been, he's, you know, he's, he's been a, a minute worth of material this, every one of these podcasts. This a is a blow. Plus. This is a blow to the podcast. We sort of had this, you know, segment carved out in the middle of it. We're gonna have to come up with something new. We're actually gonna have to use some brain power here to come up with something new. That's never a good bet with us here. But yes, no, this was a good little segment for where what we had. Maybe it had run its course anyway. I think some people had said that already. But <laughs> yes, you know have. what, people? You can deal with it. If you've listened this long in the podcast, you probably enjoy the Pimpleton Minute. So uh, we bid the farewell Pimpleton Minute. Yes. Well said. Well said. Okay. Pittsburgh, four and six. And now we can pull that stat out again. <laughs> Virginia Tech being favored by two touchdowns or more. What is it now? Seven games? And they've won Seven. all of them. Yeah, so I think so. I mean – it's just another six one games. This will be the seventh. They've won six. Right. They, the West Virginia one was close. That's the one tight game that they won. Uh, Pitt is a tough team to figure out. I don't think they're very good. These are their wins this year. They barely beat Youngstown State, an FCS team in the opener. Uh, they beat Rice. Rice is one and nine. Uh, they beat Duke. I think we've all kind of seen what Duke has become this season. And probably their best win this season, they beat UVA 31-14 to a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, Darren Hall is a freshman running back that's kind of come along. 220-pound guy. I think he had like 250 yards against Duke, something like that. I think maybe they found an offensive piece like that that they can build around. Their quarterback, Max Brown, got hurt. They have a new guy that's in there. Uh, Danucci, I think is his name. Uh, he hasn't done that great. It's just, a, it seems like a very big transition year for Pitt. Cause you look at what they had last year with all those offensive linemen, James Conner, a quarterback, uh, at, at running back, Nathan Peterman, who is going to take over for Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo, apparently, uh, at quarterback, uh, Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator. He's now at LSU, huge turnover on that team. It was going to be a transitional year. Uh, so, so this is, uh, you know, sort of a team that's coming in here not quite fully loaded, I guess. They're, they're just still kind of trying to find their way right now. Yeah, coming off a real tough loss to UNC. I mean, that's a— Of all teams, yeah. UNC. I mean, that, that was kind of a fluky way to lose that. They gave up a big touchdown, uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. I think they fumbled on the goal line when they were about to go in, and UNC returned it quite a ways. So I think if you play that game— you know, 10 times that Pittsburgh probably wins it more often than it loses it. Yeah. 15 and a half seems like a lot. It does. Yes. Given Virginia. Oh, absolutely. When I, it was 16 and a half as an open. And when I tweeted that out, everybody's like, I'm putting all my money on Pitt. Like, yeah, I think the Hokies a win, but man, that is a big line for a team that, you know, I think that was the joke. Is this team going to score 16 points? I mean, they've averaged 16 points the last two weeks against uh, Georgia Tech and Miami. Uh, I think they will, but to, to then win by that much, I, I think that might be a, a tall order. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get to your poll, we know the game time for Virginia Tech, Virginia. Uh, that on Friday after Thanksgiving will be in. You want to announce it or should I? 8 p.m. <laughs> I wanted to what the you. heck, man? What the heck? Not, that it was game. So nice last week after a game where there was a lot to break down, you know, and think about, you know, and actually to just kind of sit there and say, what do I want to say about this? Right. You know, that, that was such a treat. 
And there will be no such treat on uh, on the day after Thanksgiving. It, the other option was Miami Pitt, and I thought that everybody would want to have Miami in the night game because that is you know top five team. I mean, it's in the playoff consideration right now. I guess the thought is maybe that one will be non-competitive. Maybe the Virginia Tech-Virginia game will be closer, and because it's a rivalry game, there'd be more interest. I, I don't know. I can't get into the TV heads thinking you on this of, whole thing. I think the atmosphere in Pitt won't be great. but No, I but mean, the, the atmosphere in Charlottesville will be good. I think people would tune in to watch Miami, though, mm-hmm. just because it's Miami, uh, just to see the turnover chain for, for no other reason. I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. Uh, but yeah, this is six out of 12 games this year will be night games. That's just horrible. It's <laughs> a beat writer to have that many deadline games. And, uh, you know, this one will kind of stink to be covering it that late, but at least we'll have Saturday off. We'll be able to watch some pretty good football. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look at your poll here. This was a very interesting week. Uh, first, I guess the, the relevant news to this podcast is that tech's out, uh, were, were they out of your poll, too? They were. Okay. I dropped them out of mine as well. But they're right on the cusp. They're, on, they're the first team receiving votes in the actual poll, right? I think so. And, uh, yeah, I put them probably in that 26, 27 range, just barely out. You know, they still they have a decent resume. Uh, I think maybe hanging their hats on that West Virginia win a little bit too much. A lot of people kind of got on my case like, oh, West Virginia is ahead of Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech beat them. It's like – a, that was in week one, and B, that was as 50-50 of a game as you can get. I mean, West Virginia outgained Virginia Tech by a ton of yards. They were right down there at the end, potentially tying it up. I get that the Hokies won that game. Uh, if there, if I it was like a real serious, like should it, this team be ahead of this team, maybe I would put the Hokies a little bit higher and, and account for that head-to-head. But there have been games since then. I think West Virginia lately has played better whereas Virginia Tech lately has played worse, and that's uh, sort of the reason why I have those two teams ranked where they are. I will say we must have traveled 100 miles, more than that. I mean, I was driving at this point, and you you were still typing up this. I mean, you really got in. You dug your your claws, your meat hooks into this poll this week. Yeah, I guess it was a it was an interesting one. What were the biggest things you had to like really think about, I guess? Well, all of a sudden I'm taking Miami very seriously. Uh, you know, for the longest time, it's, oh, this team's unbeaten, but who have they played? And they beat Virginia Tech, and you go, okay, well, maybe Virginia Tech wasn't that good, but that's still a very dominant win at home against a team that was ranked close to the top ten at the time. Uh, that looks a little worse this week now that Virginia Tech loses again to Georgia Tech. But Notre Dame was a team that I think everybody has sort of universally accepted this year. So, okay, Notre Dame is really good, and Miami just crushed them. I mean, just it was 41-8, to I think was the final score. All of a sudden, I look at that unbeaten record, and I go, that's actually pretty important at this point. I know the the committee looks at things a little different. It's who have you beaten. Clemson has so many wins against teams above 500. Miami hasn't lost. It hasn't had a game like that where it's gone out there and you know laid an egg against a team like Syracuse. And Syracuse is a team that lost at home to Middle Tennessee. Uh, all of a sudden, I look at that whole situation. I go, having no losses with the kind of teams that Miami has played, that is a very big accomplishment. So I put ended up put Alabama first. I put Miami second. I have Oklahoma third. I have Clemson fourth. That would be my playoff right now. And obviously, Clemson and Miami are going to play each other. That's going to affect things down the line. I have Wisconsin fifth. Uh, I take their unbeaten record a little bit more seriously now that they've played somebody like Iowa and just crushed Iowa. I didn't Yeah, that was weird. Iowa had 66 total yards of offense a week after scoring 55 points and putting up 470 I think it was against Ohio State. Uh I think Wisconsin won that game 38 to 14 
and Iowa's two touchdowns came on pick sixes. I didn't realize that. I, I saw the yardage shuttle. I did not realize the pick six fact. Uh, I think that's a really good Wisconsin team. I think they're going to beat Michigan this week, and I'll probably take them even more seriously after they do something like that. I am very intrigued to see Wisconsin play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. If it indeed, I think I don't think it's clinched yet for Ohio State. I think the Badgers might be there. Uh, but yeah, that's my top five. I have Auburn now, number six, after beating Georgia. Uh, just sort of the way they manhandled uh, the Bulldogs like nobody has this year. Uh, honestly, you know, that Iron Bowl is in Auburn this year. I think I'm probably going to pick Auburn in that game. Uh, that's a team that's not afraid to play Alabama. They've proven that in the past. They play them tough in Jordan-Hare Stadium all the time. Uh, I kind of want to see it happen just because it'll shake up the order. I want to see Alabama actually maybe get knocked out of things this year. I mean, that, that would be an 11-1 Alabama team if it loses to, to Auburn, that wouldn't have a, a championship behind it. I'm curious to see how the committee would treat a team like that because, frankly, Alabama doesn't have the best resume this year. It's beaten LSU and Mississippi State, and uh, you know, all of a sudden that uh, Florida State win in week one looks terrible in hindsight. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot of room for chaos. Maybe not necessarily this week because it's the uh, – the SEC's bye week, essentially, where they play an FCS team to gear up for the rivalry game. Uh, if I was a commissioner of college football, I would outlaw that practice because you get right to the biggest game of the the, the biggest week of the season, and all of a sudden you take the foot off the gas, and you're like, oh, this is boring. Nobody's going to watch. I mean, the best game is probably Michigan-Wisconsin, and that one's still not that great. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it'll be, it could be, uh, an amazing finish to the season where really anything is possible. I mean, Ohio State was given up for dead. Uh, after that Iowa loss, and all of a sudden I think they're eighth in the, the football playoff rankings. They could sneak back into the playoff, unbelievably. Uh, it's just a lot of things that are working right now. Yeah, and there will be a lot of dominoes that fall that affect Virginia Tech's bowl destination, and it's really too early to say. But I always I, – this is about the time of year I start wondering. I mean, what can you tell us about where they – you know, what what uh, given their resume right now, where they would be looking at? But who would be looking at? Uh, the Hokies for, for terms of bowl destination. Bowl destination, there's still a lot to play out. I mean, obviously, I think Miami or Clemson is going to get to the playoff. I really can't see a situation where they would get two teams in. So whoever does not get in there is going to the Orange Bowl as the replacement team there. After that, it kind of depends on how things shake out. If, if a Big Ten team plays an Orange Bowl and the, an ACC team in the Orange Bowl, that opens up the Citrus Bowl for an ACC team. So that would bump everybody up another spot in the pecking order. Notre Dame is part of the ACC's bowl lineup, but Notre Dame could potentially make a New Year's Six game. So if Notre Dame makes a New Year's Six and a Big, team, Big Ten team plays an ACC team in the Orange Bowl – all of a sudden, that opens up the Citrus Bowl for possibly NC State, which would probably open up the Camping World Bowl, the former Russell Athletic Bowl in Orlando, for Virginia Tech, just looking right now at how these teams are kind of lined up. Well, say Clemson makes the playoff, Miami's in the Orange Bowl, but plays Georgia or something like that in the Orange Bowl. All of a sudden, that doesn't open up the Citrus Bowl. Say Notre Dame doesn't make a New Year's Six. They're in the, the ACC Bowl lineup. They could go to the Camping World Bowl. That could knock Virginia Tech down into those Tier 1 Bowls, which is Belk, Pinstripe, Sun Bowl, and then Music City or Tax Slayer Bowl, the former Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. So there's really a range of possibilities for where they could go. I, first, I'm just kind of feeling like this is a Jacksonville-type year. I don't know. The, the Tax Slayer Bowl, the former Gator Bowl, uh, it sounds like may have been a, a – 
destination that the Hokies wanted last year. They haven't been there in a while. They used to go there so often that I think people got sick of Jacksonville, but I'm trying to think of the last time they've been to Jacksonville. Uh, It might be that kind of year where they go back there because they've been to Charlotte recently. They've been to the Sun Bowl recently. You know, they've been to Orlando a couple times recently, although I think if, if Orlando is a possibility, uh, that, that could be a place where they end up. But uh, if I had to, to put my chips on the table in a certain place, I would say Jacksonville right now. Now, you phrased this here, and I've seen you phrase it in print as well, but you've, you've said Music City or Tax Slayer. Is that like an either-or situation where only one of those bowls is going to have an ACC tie this yeah, year? Yeah, they have a strange agreement with the Big Ten. Uh, it was over a six-year period with the, the – uh, both bowls get an ACC team three times and a Big Ten team three times. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how they choose that every year. I know last year Georgia Tech played the Tax Slayer, but I think initially the the ACC had had a few more games in the Music City Bowl than than Jacksonville. So uh, that's something that needs to play out. I think either destination would be uh, pretty good for the Hokies because that those are places that they have not been in a while. I think the fan base would be eager to travel to either one. And, you know, the Hokies travel pretty well. I think the bowl games would be eager to have them. Maybe you should get old Larry Terry on the line and <laughs> see what he has to say about what might happen. Okay, let's get to our predictions. Uh, Virginia Tech is favored by 15 and a half, and we both said that sounds too big. What's your prediction and why? Give me the Hokies 23 to 13. Wow. 23? Is that – Wow! In what way? <laughs> well, wait till you hear my prediction. Okay, uh, you you might be going Hokies big here, huh? <laughs> I I think just given how they've played offensively today, I don't. It, it might be a struggle to put up a big number on this team, but I you know, I think Pitt is not exactly great offensively. I think this could be a lower scoring game. That you know the line fifteen and a half just seems absurdly high to me, but you know, they could still win this point this game by ten points comfortably and uh, still feel pretty good about themselves. So. I'll go with a low-scoring game. I still have the Hokies winning this one, though. I just I don't, and I'm not sure why I'm doing this. Uh, maybe I'm just feeling my oats from being right last week or very close to it. Uh, I'm going Hokies 42-20. I I kind of whoa. I kind of feel like this running back's gonna get a couple, gonna get some yards on on Tech, and they'll they'll score some points. I and I just I don't know why. I kind of feel like. You know, I'm still waiting for Rain Man to reappear and just, uh, and just because he he built a lot of equity with me. You know, Justin Fuente, I'm speaking of. I mean, he built a lot of equity with me, and I, you know, just kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt against Miami. And then this past week, I was like, this is the first time like I've really said, well, what do they have here in him necessarily? Like, I'm not saying fire Justin Fuente or anything crazy like that. What you I'm saying, you are starting the fire Justin Fuente no, what I'm website is, <laughs> right now, aren't you? I'm saying is, are there going to be more games where I, where I walk out of the stadium scratching my head? I'm wondering that. And um, based on what he showed up until November of 2017, I am going to go back to the well of he's going to uh, – this overmatched team will look overmatched and beat beaten soundly. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we're about out of town here, so I'm going to do this. I've done this kind of in jest for months and months and months, but I do this out of full respect. Uh, Real deal, Khalil, if you're out there. Uh, I enjoyed following your progress in Blacksburg, and uh, I certainly wish you the best of luck wherever you end up. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarley. Enjoy the game. We'll see you next week.